Dynasty Podcast presents Dynasty Panelcasts, a live panel discussion with industry experts and innovative creatives. Hosted by Haima Black. No RSVP required. All right. Thank you to everybody who is here tonight in this room. I appreciate everybody coming out and really like, oh my gosh, there's just so many people coming in. There's so many people here. We are filling the room and I'm not surprised because this is a really special night. I do a lot of these panels around the city, but I'm excited about this one. Uh, We are here, of course, for the making of Saba's Care For Me. Let's give it up. Uh, going down the line here, we have a killer lineup, and we have the artist himself, Saba, and his team. Uh, to my right, we have Rory D. Webb and Cristela Rodriguez. I can't see the end of the table. Um, we have Day Day Pivot, and am I saying this right? Day Out? Daoud. Daoud. Okay. Apologies. Nothing. Um, So that is our lineup for tonight. Uh, Rory and Christella are Saba's management team. And then we have our producers here to Saba's right. And the idea with this panel was I've gotten to interview Saba a few times um, individually. And that's awesome. It's been so great to do that over the years. But I thought with this project, with how special it is, I thought it'd be really cool if we got everybody involved to really talk about the making of this record. So that is what we're going to be doing tonight. And let's start with the production side of things. You know, the three of you produced this record. You were doing that together, individually? Like, how did you approach that? Talk about the process of just the production side of this. Who should go first? How we do this? You let's go just first. go down the line. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I'll kick things off. I would say, uh, to answer your question, we pretty much did everything together. I'm trying to think if there was even one song that was made without us being... Like, you mean the three of us? Yeah. Like, uh, beat-wise? Yeah. I think busy. calligraphy was just... Busy. Busy. I did busy, busy. Yeah, uh, I did. in yeah. my bedroom. And that was, like, from there we did everything else, pretty much. I feel like a lot of the production, like, starts in different ways. Like, sometimes Sabo will start a song, and sometimes me and Daoud will start a song, or sometimes he'll have a song without a beat or something like that. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I think everything really kind of came together in Oakland at Daoud's house is kind of where we uh, we kind of went in on, like, some songs. Like, a lot of songs were ideas for a long time, like, months, sometimes, uh, you know, a few weeks or something, we might have, like, a skeleton of a track, but it was like a, I don't know, maybe like a two-week spent. And uh, Some Oakland. of them were crazy, though, because some of them, like, weren't. Some, we redid some of the beats for these songs, like, yeah, hell I know of times. Sirens is one that uh, went through quite a few stages. But, yeah, I think each track just had such a, just creating them was so, I don't know, different from making any other music that I can say that I've, I've made. Uh, and, yeah, these two guys had everything to do with taking a lot of my skeletons to just a new place, you know? It's so, my turn to talk now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the whole time it was your I'm turn. I'm just talking. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going down the line. I was waiting for the ping to I guess I could do back. one. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, um, we can just keep talking, you know what I'm saying? Well, I... Uh, first met you can can i do the met story i start from the beginning yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so i met i met this gentleman on a tour the bucket list tour yeah last year uh mm-hmm. and i had no idea that sab was pulling some strings behind the scenes you know what i mean he was trying to like organically get us to meet 
before the plan was to just make us fuse into one person. <laughs> and uh, it worked, you know. I accepted, I accepted the uh, organ transplant, as it were. You know what I mean? I did not reject it. We became one, heart and mind, body, soul, and spirit. You're killing it right now. You're killing yeah, it. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, it started off really, really organically. Um, as you may have guessed by my metaphor, uh, we... We just made music. We got together in yeah. like August and started making music. And then it but wasn't supposed to be an album. Yeah, we until, weren't like purposely making an album or yeah. anything. Like, I don't know, December. Just made a hell of music. I guess we weren't purposely making an album until... At first. Rory and Christella told us. Yeah, and then we were perfectly we making it up. Yes. Yeah, and even just touching on what Saba just said about kind of the process of the making this album being different from even Bucket List as well is um, we really wanted to do like a much more cohesive rollout from releasing the music to going on tour because with the with the previous project it was probably thing. a year and a half. He didn't ask those questions yet. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, it's, it's okay? okay. Yeah. It's okay? This is, Come on, man. This is your guy's... You gotta take uh, control. Well, just, to piggyback yeah. like Future, <laughs> like Future in his interviews, just start talking. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, enough, enough questions. We'll tell right, you what yeah. we want right. you to know. To piggyback off what Rory was saying about cohesion... You know... We, we did a good job, I feel like. Nobody uh, stepping on each other's toes. You know what I mean? Everybody filled in one another's blanks. You know what I mean? I'm obviously the center. You know what I mean? It's a point guard, small forward, like, right there. This is a squad. Good game. Um, Saba, for you, you know, when you are on the writing side of this versus when you're on the production side of this, does your mindset kind of change depending on which stage of the process you're in? Like, do you have a producer mindset where you're like, why did I write this this way? Or is it all just kind of one thing? I would say for me, uh, let me hold this. It feels a lot more. Ah, hey, hey hello. <laughs> uh, for me, this. writing and producing, it's hard for me to do both. I mean, I do both, right. but it's hard for me to uh, like focus fully. So that's the benefit of having guys like this who I can trust to do what I would do, but also even better than what I would do, uh, where I don't even have to make some decisions sometimes in the production, where it's just like they just freestyle it, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. Because writing, I feel like when I'm, when I'm in my like rapper mode, it's like I kind of got to focus on being the rapper. When I try to do too much, it's like you'll hear that I'm trying to do too much. And a lot of times it's like, you know, that's the point of having a team to not, you know, to take some of the work, to take some of the workload away and to do an even better job than I would have done. So a lot of times I might make a skeleton just so that I can have something to record to. Like if I'm at home or something, like before we went out and we were all together, a lot of times I was in uh, my bedroom at home when I started on uh, Busy and Sirens. I remember making those there. And I feel like we made most of the other songs together. Life was another song that was done uh, or started at least in my bedroom. But it was like... Uh, I, I had a track and I wish I could play the original Sirens for you so you can hear it it's like yeah. it's really just the idea uh, like there's some drums and a piano that's like doom 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 
It was, do- it was still dope, though. <laughs> we can add it to the podcast later, too, we if you should. want to email it to me. Yeah. And what's crazy is we took all of that out of Sirens all together, and uh, it ended up turning into Busy. And that's why Busy now has the... Sirens that's where that came from, yeah. So for Busy, we actually sampled the original beat from Sirens, and then I was just going to cut Sirens all together. No, no, and, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were like, we were like, no. <laughs> and these guys were like, you would be fucking up. Can I say fuck? Yeah. yeah okay. Say whatever you want. This shit they is was, fire. Yeah. They was basically over. like, this shit is fire, and you would be fucking up to not put this, you know, to do something with it. Because if you listen to it, they're the same. Uh, same chords. It's the same chords going from the first half to the second half, and that's almost. because it, almost yeah, it, was it was really like the same song at a point. Uh, and it got to a point where it's like, well, fuck it, remake like a new Sirens beat. And my, my quarrel with it was that the songs really had nothing to do with each other. So I'm like, why would I, you know, why would I do that? And I think sonically they had so much to do with each other that it still worked. Uh, I don't even remember what the question was, but. No, this is all good stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Day Day and. Uh, Daoud, dude. Sorry. Um, Daoud. How did this project differ from any previous production you had done, either with Saba or otherwise? You said how is it different? Yeah. How is this project different than anything else? I I don't I don't know if I've ever done this before. Like we kind of got together and just made a fuckload of music, for lack of a better term than that. <laughs> we made a lot of stuff, and uh, me and Daoud got. I think getting together in August was an important thing for us because we got used to working together. I've never. We came to Oakland. Me and Saba came to Oakland, and we worked with Daoud, and I had never even met him besides the one time on Buckleist tour last year. We so, talked about Hemiolas. That's how we, we bonded. Yeah, we. It's at, music at, theory. If you guys, does anyone know what a Hemiola is? Yeah, crazy. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, this is the the first conversation me and Daoud have. It was we, actually we about both, future and how. Yeah. In many triplet raps, he's performing a heebie. Yeah, and we were like, "Oh, I fuck with this guy." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was, I was like, "All right, cool. That was cool." And then, the, yeah, the first time we got together in August, we just, I think we made heaven like the first day or something. Or was that? Yeah, that was. I think that the was first beat number two. I think the like the second beat me and Dowd ever made was have was the heaven beat. Yeah. And then we came back and like changed the drums later. Yeah. But um, we also changed the key of it. This is true. Really? I forgot that. We, I make the drums. This he makes is true. Chords. If anyone was was wondering that, we changed the key <laughs> of heaven all around me because we realized that uh, all of the album was in B flat minor. <laughs> like literally, like everything. That's funny. Like all of the songs that we had at the time that were tight were in a specific key. So we was like. Uh, not having all around me too. Like we gotta, you know, we gotta. It got to a point where we were like looking at the list of songs. Like, well, this one has to stay. This one has to stay. This one has to. This one can change. So we change. What did we change it to? B minor, I think. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's you know it's close, but originally yep. <laughs> it was in a different key. So yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, I hadn't apart from one instance when I initially met you, Saba, uh, since. People will be listening and not realize I'm pointing at you. I had there's a camera. Oh, there's yeah. a live stream. Where, who do I look at? Where's Which the live is not a live stream. Oh, just kidding. I like yeah, the live streams right here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh, okay. All right. I'll look over there. <laughs> so, um, apart from one time, one or two times when we had like done some work for bucket list 
in person, which is when I met Sab in 2015. Uh, came to my house in Oakland and you know played some things and then made some more stuff with another friend of mine. Uh, and in like the months after that, I, you know, had been doing my own thing and then heard from him. It was, I didn't realize until later, the 11th hour, it was like about to be turned in and wanted some little flourishings and whatever stuff to be added. So I did some, you know, whatever little stuff to be added. Uh, if you start up Bucket List, you'll hear, Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, uh, another, you know, couple months and started doing some more things. But all this had been, like, really over the Internet and, like, exchanging emails. And we didn't really lock in until that same August period. Uh, and we were really going at it a couple weeks Couple, five, yeah. five beats a day yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know the number. Five beats a day for maybe like three summers, and uh, <laughs> that's a joke. But like, we actually did do five beats. And, and uh, yeah, just developing that chemistry was really useful, and kind of music speaks to that. So I wanted to, you know, and we're gonna like bounce around with a couple of different themes here, you know, to cover uh, hopefully the, a lot of the experience of the record. So Saba, I want us to talk about some of the lyrical content, you know, and at the, at the risk of, of bringing it down, but it's like, this is a record that has some really serious themes. You know, you're dealing with the isolation, you're dealing with a heavy sense of loss, you know, withdrawing. And so what was it like to be in a position where you have to find the motivation, you have to create something while being in the midst of, of really heavy kind of, you know, emotions. I think the actual lyrical content on the album was probably the easiest part of the album. Like, 2017 was a really, really rough year for me. And it was just like, I had so much that I felt like I, I had to say. And it, I wasn't really saying it to anybody. So it was easy to write it down on paper, like on a lot of those songs before writing it, I knew what I wanted to write. So writing it was easy because I already like all I had to do was make it rhyme, which is, you know, like, <laughs> I guess a task. But it was, you know, it was fairly easy to make the shit rhyme. But yeah, honestly, I don't know. A lot of those songs are written uh, fairly uh, quick, especially in comparison to how long it took to write. Like, just thinking about it, how much longer it took to make Bucket List than it took to make Care For Me. But listening back, it's like you, you it doesn't really sound like it. But Bucket List was made over like a, a year or so, and Care For Me was done. And like, officially, how, how long are we saying Care For Me? We actually were working on songs. We were told it was going to be an album in December. Yeah, December. Is that and we finished it. We went to mixing in January. February. Yeah, 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 yeah. So from December to February is how long we really had to work on the album. So that was. That's a quick turnaround. Hey, you know what the fuck we do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and along those lines, putting out a work like this, and I'm sure you got to talk to people on tour and and just hear from fans through social media. Like, did you hear from people saying like, hey? I didn't go through the exact thing you went through, but I'm finding a lot that I can relate to in this. Or did you find that this was an honest work that people were able to uh, kind of find their own experience in? 
yeah, but I will say that that's not a new experience for me and a lot of my music. Like, uh, it being honest is something that I always kind of, you know, have done. So, like, even with Bucket List Project and stuff like that, like, those are still all very honest stories. Uh, some of them are a little lighter, but there is also a lot of heavy stuff on Bucket List even. And uh, touring is always cool because you get to, you know, see face-to-face the people who your music is affecting. And, uh, you know, they, they might share stories. And I remember on a Bucket List tour, uh, the Bucket List tour was weird because Walt was alive when we made Bucket List, but Walt died when we toured Bucket List. So when we was on tour, it was fresh. It was like a few weeks in, and Walt had just passed. So it was, it, you know, not none of Bucket List is about that, but it was weird because a lot of the fans were getting that out of it, and they would talk to me out of, after the shows and shit. And I remember this one time, in fucking Santa Ana, me and this fan just had a fucking cry sesh for like 10 minutes. And the shit was crazy. Like, I know I be saying like some, some wild shit, like, damn, this shit happened, this shit happened. I'm so sad. But this nigga had a set. Like, <laughs> it's like you think you have it bad and then you hear how someone else has it and it's like, fuck, it could be so much worse. Like, his damn near his whole family was like slaughtered and like over very violent very like wild ass way and he was just at the fucking bucket list show like just crying and I'm like holy fuck this shit is crazy but a lot of you, you know like I don't know it's it's hard because it's like when when you lose somebody the last thing you want to hear is somebody else say like I know how this feels or I relate but a lot of people are able to do that in music. So I think that's what makes Care For Me special to a lot of people. Like, they're able to relate. Like, I feel like just in, in general, like, whether or not they had a friend murdered, like, it's still the same, just losing someone or even just feeling alone. Because I think that's a very universal feeling, like, despite how many people there are on the fucking planet, I think a universal feeling is that we all at some point will feel alone. And I think that's one of the main kind of things that Care For Me really explores and deals with. So I think that's what makes it so relatable. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great answer. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask about the lyrical content. Um, while we were setting up the room here for this panel, I'm flipping through my phone, I'm on Facebook, I see that you post a link to your Rolling Stone article, and I'm like, I better read this before I talk to him in case I like ask something that you're like. You said Rory posted a link <laughs> to my Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, you just did an interview in Rolling Stone that just got published, I think, today, and uh, and you mentioned in that interview that you're talking about things that are happening in Chicago that people are talking about, but they're not talking about like in song and publicly. I guess talk about that, like, you know, bringing some of these issues that affect Chicago into the public conversation. Uh, I wish I knew which part of that article (laughs) you were talking about, because I feel like I also just read it. (laughs) Uh, But what I will say is that I don't think the issues in Chicago are limited to Chicago. Uh, And I think 
how many of us are from Chicago in this room? Okay, less than I thought, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to lie. Crazy. But quite a few. So you know what the internet depicts Chicago as and how annoying that shit is when the problems that are going on in Chicago are universal problems. It's not just like a thing limited to Chicago. Like everywhere in the fucking world has a fucking hood. Like it's a simple concept. So I think for me, I don't really think about them as Chicago issues. Uh, I think of them as, I guess, like world issues or some shit that just needs to be talked about. And, uh, on Care For Me, I tried to even limit the amount of Chicago references because I didn't want it to feel like it was an album that was just for Chicago. The album honestly had nothing to do with Chicago. It was for me, and the album was like, I guess, my coping and my therapy at the time. Uh, so I wanted to limit the amount of, like, this is where I'm from. This is where we at. This was going on over here. Like, it was like, this is, you know, like more so me than a place and yeah I don't know I guess I didn't I didn't think of the album as a or or the lyrics even as things that are limited to Chicago and I guess that's maybe why uh things are worded certain ways in that interview that I don't (laughs) quite recall fair enough um, yeah, and, you know, for anyone listening at home, like I said, we have Christella and Rory, who are the management team for Saba. You guys have been with him for, and I'm going to let you uh, tell me how long you've been with Saba. But, like, I guess with this record, talk about your role in the making of Care For Me and, and how each of you approached your involvement with the album. Um, we've been working with Sab for about uh, three years now. It'll be three years in September. It- doesn't sound like a long time, but it feels like it's been forever. So we started the bucket list rollout with him. And just like Rory mentioned earlier, our bucket list rollout was about a year long. We had a lot of time to figure things out. And then with this one, um, we routed, we had tour dates routed. So that's what the deadline was. And like they said, they started officially working on music in December, and we had to hit the road on April 5th. So what I will say my role was in this whole role, I was just kind of trying to figure out ways to keep everybody calm (laughs) because I felt that as artists, as musicians, it, it was probably really stressful to have this deadline and have to figure all of these things out. And it was such a personal album, um, but like I said, we, we had to figure it out. Um, we ended up having to make some, some, some alterations with the tour dates to make everything work. We took the first week of the Care For Me tour and we put it at the end of what the tour actually ended up being. So like that, those first five tour dates, we ended up moving them so that we had more time to finish the album and turn it in because with most DSPs, you have to turn things in Three weeks before your release date. Can you tell the people what a DSP is? Spotify, Apple Music, your distro, your distribution. And yeah, so to answer your question with the what I felt my role was with this rollout, it was just kind of, you know, trying to keep everybody calm while I was 
not very calm, but that's okay because it worked out. It worked out. We did good. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I think adding on to that too. So in terms of our roles and kind of splitting up a lot of like the tasks as management. Um, so for one, Christelle is based in Chicago. So she's with Saba a lot more day to day. I'm based in New York and I come from a background in publicity and marketing. So I handle a lot of the setting up interviews. Um, also this time we brought in a freelance digital marketing person that like Christella and I will deal with, um, you know, just those communications in terms of getting promotions up, advertisements up through Instagram and everything to get the visuals in front of people the right way. And so, yeah, I think a lot of our roles is really um, communicating with all the different moving pieces. So there's the booking agent that sets up the tour. There's the publicity and publicity, which I handle. There's the digital marketing person that we're talking to. There's a designer that we work with that we're talking to to get flyers and everything done. Because that's the other thing with where there's, you know, having a tour and getting an album done. The music is one thing, but then you also have to get cover art, photos, all these other little assets in place. And so Christella and I handle a lot of that stuff. Christella handles setting up the photo shoot for the album cover and things like that. Shout out to Zoe Rain, who couldn't be here today. She took all of the pictures, and she did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, yeah, I think our roles, I think that describes our roles pretty well. And with having worked with Saba as long as you both have, um, how have you seen that operation change for each of you? Like, you know, what was it like three years ago versus now when, you know, people know the name, people know who Saba is now. And like with this project, especially, there's certainly like a raised level of awareness. So three years ago is probably a very different um, day to day than it is at this point. Um, I think our roles have been pretty much the same since day one, just because like Rory mentioned, his background is in PR and marketing. And I absolutely hate PR and marketing. Um, my background is in management the whole time. I just I started at a management company and it's kind of just what I focused on. So it's more so like day to day and handling conversations with booking agents and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of our actual day to day tasks, of course, things picked up really rapidly. I think what a lot of it is now is just kind of differentiating between what actually makes sense in terms of the narrative and what doesn't. So we get pitches for him to do specific things and a lot of it is just kind of deciding what makes sense. He stays really true to... I say no to a lot of shit. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a lot of knowing what he's going to say no to instead of being like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to have a talk with him. He'll probably be down. This will work out. It's like, okay, we'll bring it up to him and we'll see if the scheduling works. That's usually my go-to. <laughs> the scheduling works. And then it's like, sorry, there's a scheduling conflict because he was actually like, fuck no. You know? <laughs> so I guess that's what changed, yeah. <laughs> Which also, not to interrupt, but I feel especially fortunate that you guys did this because it's like, yeah, you're definitely saying no to things. So again, thank you all for being here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just piggybacking off that, I would agree. I don't think our rules have changed so much as they've just evolved from as, you know, things have developed and opportunities have come up and as we've built our team out and, you know, Christella and I managing just the relationships with all those different moving pieces of the overall business and brand. Well, and there was the tour that you guys did um, in, what was it, uh, April and May, 
right? Uh, so talk about that tour. What was that like for everybody? What was everyone's role in that? Like, you know, bring us into the experience of taking that on the road right when the project was brand new. I could just say, while it's fresh and while this is happening, that this is a thing that happened on yeah. tour. <laughs> he always goes to the bathroom. It gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> so if you ever come to a show during World in My Hands, he will get up to every, use that the same restroom. Song, same song every time. <laughs> I just looked over and I was like, he went. To I would look over it. and he'd be gone. <laughs> I'd be playing on stage and he'd just be gone. This shit is crazy. Like <laughs> performing and then looking back, like, oh shit, there's nobody and there, like, and then just. Trying to sweating. turn around like this. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything is okay. <laughs> but he 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 always makes it back in time. So he does. He everybody, does. you know, don't I? Look, see, he's back in time. You see. Well, so we're I. talking about tour right now. <laughs> I actually was thinking about this story while I was in the bathroom. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we talked about world in my hands? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I will say that touring was crazy this time because, like they said, touring was the kind of deciding factor for the deadline uh so it was just everything like announcing the tour even i was panicking the whole fucking time he was i was very very this is what i'll say i didn't want to like i had been off of social media i was like just making this album i wasn't doing anything else so i wanted to come back to social media basically like this is the album's date. But I didn't want to just say new album, this date. I wanted to have a video and a bunch of other shit done and like out, like here, look at me, look at this, this is this. And then I wanted to announce the tour after that because that was, it would make sense, you know, like, hey, he's back, new tour. And that's not what happened because it's never what happens. Um, It was super like, album done like video like tour so like really fast which did we we actually announced the tour first yeah the video wasn't done did we drop the video first yeah but like as soon as we got back we came back from california oh yeah because i cut my hair which was a big deal came first so i was like all right i gotta come back to social media with a picture of me with no dreads yeah all right so i did that then I wanted right after that to um, do the video. The video wasn't done, so we put out a, a trailer. And then I feel like after that, we announced the tour. And then we dropped the video. I think that's how it happened. I could be lying. Did we do video and tour on the same day? I feel like we had a discussion about this. <laughs> it's crazy. How no idea. F- <laughs> it feels like it was so long ago now and that shit is yes, fucking crazy. <laughs> I think it was crazy to come back from making all this music and you were shooting the busy video like literally the next day. Yeah. Like we finished all this or we didn't finish it. We still had to mix it all. But we came back and we just it was right. really fast. It was crazy. Basically, I was panicking because I'm like, holy fuck, how the fuck are we about to sell tickets to a tour? when Bucket List came out two years ago. So I'm like, fuck, will people come see the show? Like, cause the new album isn't out yet. So the, the new date by Cristela switching the first week of tour to the last week of tour, we were able to get like an extra- Like two weeks. Like an extra two weeks to work on the album. So by the time we actually finished the album, dropped the album, we were going on tour. Five days after the album. Yeah, five days after. And it was crazy, but on the tour, you were able to see the first half of the tour, like 
people like vibing with the the new shit. Like yeah, and then when you play like some bucket list shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then we go back to some of the new shit, and by then they're like, ah, ah, ah. yeah, towards the second half. Yeah. So that was cool. And then as it progressed, and like each date that we played, you would see more people know the new shit. Cause that's I think the the like the scary part as an artist is like, fuck, we're going on tour. Not even a week after the album drop, we didn't give anybody time to learn the words. <laughs> But they already bought their tickets like two months ago when we right when we announced. So it was like they were coming regardless. So it is what it is. But they did a. They knew the words. Yeah, they knew the words. More shows sold out on this one than on the bucket list tour. So I don't know. I was just I was just happy because I was really going through it and I was really panicking the entire rollout. Like, oh fuck, this isn't going how we planned it. What the fuck is next? But the music got done. The videos got done. And I don't know, I think the the tour was like the icing on a cake for me. It was like, all right, we our work, the work part is done. Because performing is fun to me. But the actual working on the album is like, fuck, we got it. Like, just me basically panicking every day. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, those are my, uh, that's how I recall it. <laughs> Fondly. <laughs> So, you know, on that note, and that's, that's a great answer from everybody, but uh, how did this, what do, I guess, let's ask this, what do you know about touring now, and this is, again, for anybody, what do you guys know about touring now that you didn't know when you were going out in your first runs? Don't drink a lot of water. Before oh, yeah, that was the first thing. <laughs> Don't but do But also, it. do drink a lot of no, water. No, no, wait, we left. We left from Chicago, and he was already sick. I was sick, so, he was drinking so I had water. to hydrate. But we had already been on tour, and he hadn't. And so little did. did I know that this, this route from Chicago to Philadelphia is a 13-hour drive. We stopped we were like three times. In. No, like, we were like 20 minutes in, and we stopped. Yeah. We, we got to Indiana. And by we, I mean Daoud. <laughs> I made it to Indiana, and then we pulled over and stopped. And then we made it to whatever the next state is, because I'm not from here, and I don't know how this stuff works. And then pulled over. And then the next one, the next one, the next one. And it was bad. I'm sorry to throw you under the proverbial bus, Rory. But I think there was an incident, uh, maybe on Bucket List Tour, where Rory had... To, you had to use the bathroom a lot, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. This is a true thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you had a reputation, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so all I'm thinking is, all right, well, all I got to do is just not be like Rory. <laughs> and on the first day, I don't know if they're keeping track, but I may have set a record. And after that, I waited until we got to the venue before yeah, I Yeah, you definitely got a lot better for sure. But that first day, I was like, oh my God. It's really important to hydrate when you're sick. On your off, if any of you ever go on tour, the key is off days. You have like one or two off days in between. Just drink so much mm-hmm. water. And then on drive days, you just hate your life. Yeah. I think this tour, we also had, we had set design this time, which we didn't have last time. Oh, yeah. Which made a bit of a difference. We had a U-Haul and stuff like that, which was uh, different traveling with that. We had to carry all of that shit. We had to put that on stage <laughs> ourselves. We had to lift that on stage every night and take it back off and take it apart every night. Yeah. Which so was crazy. For was people who chance. haven't seen, we were building a kitchen on stage every night. And uh, 
That shit is heavy. <laughs> oh, yeah. That shit is heavy. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, one day we can hire people to do that shit. But we were definitely doing that shit ourselves. Uh, fortunately, uh, Fresh was there. Fresh is a, oh, yeah. a Pivot Gang member. And all like all of touring with all the Pivot helped in, in that sense. Like, there were people to help. Because we had so much more to set up on this tour than the last one. We did a meet and greet, so we had to set up. There was just a giant. It was actually about this big. Uh, the, just the album cover. So we had to set that up every night. There was just a lot more to set up. I think touring in general, I learned a lot even on a bucket list tour. Because that was my first tour that was like my tour. I had been on tours before where I was going to open for somebody. But the, the bucket list tour was the first time where I was headlining and I was able to like say, oh, I want this person to open for me and I want to you know, do this and this. And it was like, that was the first time I had experienced that. So my concern, of course, was, but fuck, will there be people at the shows? Like, I think it's cool that we're playing a 700 cap room, but it's not going to be cool if only 50 people show up. So that was my concern on the bucket list tour. And then, for the most part, a lot of the shows went really well. So it was like going on this tour, I was a lot more relieved. Like, oh, well, we already did the bucket list tour, so this should go fine. And it it did. So I don't know. I guess one of the relieving things is just to know that people will come. And it's hard to kind of gauge whether or not people will come. So good thing we have managers and booking agents and shit like that. Because on this time, we played some... We played some weird places. We played Utah. We played That's Kansas. Oh Utah, the dude, the sound guy fucked up. That was that was a big show. Yeah, we played a, we played an unplugged set in Utah. Yeah, we had no sound, so we dealt beatboxed and and we just kind of improvised. That was pretty cool, though. Yeah, I think <laughs> one of the things about like so I think our booking agents do a good job of like you know when we're in New York or when we're in L.A. we play like a big room <laughs> like. This is where the fans are. This is where the people who are listening to the music are. So I think in New York, we played like 700 or something like that. And it was a real big stage. We set up the whole thing. In Utah, we probably don't want to play a 700-person room or something like that. I think we probably played, what was it, like 150 or something like that? Uh, that stage wasn't big enough for the set sign. Yeah, at so all. the stage just didn't fit on the stage. <laughs> at all. <laughs> so we had like a, a, a thing where we would only set up like the middle piece instead of like the whole kitchen. Uh, and yeah, playing the different size rooms is, is kind of crazy because it's like some nights everything will go perfect and then you'll play the next night at a smaller room and something like this happens where the sound guy just fucks the whole show. <laughs> like, and like we, we didn't have the whole show. All right, can I? Can I? You want to talk about the Utah show? Mm-hmm. So in our show, in our ears, you know, you see like artists and shit with like little headphones in their ears and shit. Uh, we're hearing a click so that they can sounds play like on that. beat and not fuck up. And that's what it sounds like. That's what we're hearing in our ears. And we got and we're something hearing, that, like we're not even playing with the track sometimes. You know what I'm saying? We're just playing right. Yeah. So the whole show, the guy in Utah couldn't get the click working. Whole time. The whole show. So they're playing keys and shit, but we don't know when the beat comes in. So we're doing the whole shit. Like, I remember we played calligraphy, and that was one of the craziest experiences. I'm like, man, we got to make it so this shit can never happen again. Like, we, we play, he played the piano intro, and we got to the end, and I'm like, all right, let me come in. 
I'll drums. tell the truth to y'all if it. I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> then like, was it the next song? Within the next two songs after that, my microphone had went out. The shit was the, the computer shit, crashed. Also, yeah, he was the just, computer was crashed. Just, yeah, yeah it was crash. The shit was Damn miserable. Shit. The shit, but it was fun. It was still fun. But it was I, actually hella fun. That was kind yeah. of a fun show. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it's <laughs> cool to us. know that we have fans in Utah. Shout out to anybody in Utah on the live stream. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Those three people like <gasps> <laughs> Believe it or not That was my third time in Utah Yeah third, That was my third time in Utah Really out here yep. <laughs> So I just want to do one or two more questions then, And then if people if, you, if we have time like I would love to get some Q&A going with the, uh, with the awesome crowd here So just um, to kind of bring us home, you know, we'll do one or two more. So now, now that the project is out and, you know, you've done the first round of touring, I don't know if there's more touring ahead, but like what's next in the life cycle of this, of this album or what's ahead for you? I know you're doing Pitchfork Saba uh, tomorrow. Um, yeah. So that's going to be amazing. But what else is ahead for you guys? Yeah, Christella. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a few things that we're not allowed to announce quite yet, but um, a lot of exciting things that we can't talk about because it is a live stream. And That's what managers say when there is no answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> He's busy. Scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Scheduling conflicts. Yes. Scheduling conflicts. Oh, um, no, there's, there's going to be a few, a few more uh, tours that we can't talk about yet. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Rory, mm-hmm. Rory, take it away. <laughs> Videos. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> I will say, uh, mm-hmm. to answer your question, what's next in the life cycle of Care For Me is new music. And I know what you're thinking. Like, mm. why would we put out new music to, you know, to help old music? But it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it works. You put out new music, and then they're like, and holy fuck, he put out this album six months ago or three months, however many months from April 5th we are now. Uh, but, yeah, me and uh, me and the guys have been working on quite a few things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get those going. Also, I got a friend of mine who's working on a remix album uh, oh, yeah. for Care For Me. Yeah, right now. Uh can't really disclose anything else. It's great, though. But I think at least six of you are going to enjoy it. I would go further as to say I have heard yeah, more than that. two of them, two of the tracks from the remix thing. And I think if there is someone here who doesn't fuck with it, that you are weird. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so to kind of bring us home, uh, how does it feel? Just what's the general feeling in the camp right now? Because, again, it sounded like, obviously, there were heavy themes in the album, and there was a sense, I think, of urgency in making a lot of things happen in a short amount of time. So how does it feel now to have lived with this body of work for a few months and that it's out and you're done with the tour? I guess, how do you guys feel about the entire experience at this point? I talked the entire time you asked that question. I'm so sorry. Um, but I, to piggyback off what you're saying, uh, I think I'm feeling I'm 
really excited. I uh, I I have not toured before. I've never done a panel before. Uh, I've never really let been allowed to talk into a microphone in front of a group of people. <laughs> the only thing I'm allowed to do in the shows is sing backups. I really want to do the stage banter, but I mean, we'll get there, right? It feels like we're in the NBA right now, and at any point, I'm gonna grab my purse and just walk. <laughs> Uh, to to actually to give an honest answer to your question, I, I will that say well. that um, for me, I always thought that it took longer to make music. I knew that a lot of people were able to just go in the studio and just make whole mixtapes in like a week and shit like that. But I was always like making excuses for myself, like, but I don't make that kind of music, so I can't do that, you know, and shit like that. And working on Care For Me in such a short amount of time, I was able to see, holy fuck, you can make something that really matters and that's really important and that's true to yourself in a very short amount of time. It's really like as much time as you allow yourself is how, how long it'll take to make music. So I think we've been making our shit a lot faster now because we know we can. So I think for me, Care, care For Me was eye-opening in the sense of like, Holy fuck, if we can do this in three months, what? <laughs> you know, give me a week and let's see what we can do and, and shit like that. Um, there were some songs that really proved that to me too, like Broken Girls, where we made it in like a day. I feel like like there were certain things that I was just like, wow, I can't believe that like, we learned a lot about things together. We just made 15 songs in five days. Yeah, we did that a few weeks ago. Yeah. So it's like, cool. we really, I don't know, I think Care For Me had to happen for that to happen. Like, now we just, like, fuck it. Just make a beat. I don't give a fuck what it sounds like. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll go. <laughs> this always goes well, so let's just keep this going. Well, we're going to open up to Q&A here in just a moment. But before we do that, because we don't usually record the Q&A, so while we have the recording going, I wanted to say something. A, thank you to all of you for being on this panel. Um, Crystal and Rory, thank you guys for always being supportive. I always appreciate the fact that you have not only uh, set up interviews with Saba, but also other Pivot artists. And so that support, we're a small podcast. Thank you both. And Saba, man, you and I have done interviews. Our first time we did an interview was at South by Southwest 2014. Oh, man. And, and I was saying this before, yeah, yeah, a while back. Yeah, and yeah, I was saying yeah, this yeah. before, like we all, when yeah, we were at the bar, on. that, you know, I interview a lot of artists. I usually get a lot of them at the beginning of their journey. And sometimes they get a little bit bigger and they don't always kind of return the calls. And you've always been available and you've always been so, just so wonderful to talk with and so welcoming, man. And I genuinely appreciate it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And let's give it up for our thank panelists you. here. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty... Dynasty Descend.